0: Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I I started a series uh, four four or five weeks ago, uh, uh, Oh God, Who Am I? And and really it was about rediscovering our identity. Um, If I just do a a quick summary of the two parts of the series that um, that we've spoken um, about and into your lives. uh, and, and really, if I summarized everything that happened, that everything we've said, it just boils down to this. When God created man, man was perfect. Man and God were in perfect harmony. God had a plan for man, a relationship he wanted with man, and instructions as to how man was to um, uh, multiply, you know, fill the earth, subdue, have dominion, replenish the earth, reproduce. And man did an amazing job doing just that, as long as man was in, relationship, in a relationship with God. Um, but somewhere along the line, the enemy got involved. And when the enemy got involved in Genesis, the third chapter, from verses 1 to 7, uh, he tricked the woman uh, into rebelling against God. The result of that rebellion against God uh, was that, that, that we lost our identity. The consequences of that uh, are what we have to live with today. A broken world, a fallen world, um, uh, a world in which people inflict pain on each other. Um, a world in which people cheat and people lie, you know, and people hurt each other. Um, a world that, in which we, 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 we wake up every day and there's a story of a young boy stabbing another young boy on the street. Um, a world in which husbands who should be uh, protecting their wives and serving their wives, turn on their wives and beat their wives. Parents abuse children, whether physically or verbally. Um, a world that has just completely fallen apart. A world in which greed is elevated, covetousness you know, is encouraged. You know, a world in which we see despicable acts of evil as children are trafficked across borders, children are abused sexually, slavery is rampant, Um, a a world in which which greed has really taken its place of of prominence. It's it's a world that is fallen and that is broken. People who should love each other, hurt each other, Um, pain is inflicted, Um, And and that's the result of the loss of our identity. You know, a, 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 a world in which people take pleasure in other people's pain or discomfort. A world in which negative emotions hold sway, where there's guilt and there's shame and people are angry, you know, and people react out of their anger. You know, a world in which young people disrespect their parents and those who are older than them. A world that, has, that seems to have lost its value system. We can't trust politicians. We can't trust the clergy. We can't trust bankers. We can't trust anybody. A world that has become so selfish where everybody thinks about himself. And all that is because we have simply lost our identity. The enemy succeeded in this great heist, this, this great theft where he stole our identity. And this journey we are on is one that will lead us to rediscover our identity. Originally, we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were made to be like God. And so today, we want to go on in this series and talk about the strategies of the enemy, how he ended up achieving what he has achieved, the strategies of the enemy, the mechanisms by which he committed this heist, uh, his method of operation, um, uh, how he goes about it. And someone might say, why is this important? It's important because if we know how he went about it, if we know his strategies, we can correct the damage he has done and significantly We can stop him from doing further damage. You mustn't forget his ministry is very clear. And it wasn't anybody but Jesus who made us understand his ministry, his mandate, his purpose. In John the 10th chapter and the 10th verse. Jesus himself says this. The thief comes. The the thief does not come except to steal And to kill and to destroy. And then he goes on to say, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. In very clear words, he he literally lays before us the two ministries. This is what life is about. These, These are the two kingdoms that are competing for the souls of men. One of them, its mission is simple. To kill, to steal, and destroy. The other one has come, and its mission is simple as well. To bring a life, an abundance of life, an overflow of life uh, to us. His ministry is quite simple. It is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so, what are we hoping to achieve in this series? Well... We are hoping to recover what has been stolen. With the information that you will get, you will be on a journey of recovery. Anything he has stolen from you, especially with regards to your identity, we must recover it. Amen? We are also hoping that this journey will allow us to cause to come back to life things that he has killed. Uh, uh, things that have died, our uh, uh, perceptions of ourselves, our uh, identity, our uh, self worth, you know, our uh, dignity, things that He has killed, because we serve a God of resurrection, even though He's killed them and we're living out the consequences, He can bring them back to life. We also hope, we also also believing that things that have been destroyed, that this journey will allow the process where these things are rebuilt, whatever has been destroyed. Crucially, the information we get, we want to be in a place to use to prevent these things from happening, to prevent him from stealing, to prevent him from killing, to prevent him from destroying, to prevent him from uh, stealing our identity, stealing our self-image, stealing our self-worth, Stealing our dignity. And and this is so significant. There's a book which some of you might have read, uh, The Art of War by uh, Sun Tzu. I think that's how his name is pronounced. The Art of War. This is what he says. It's a a very, very, very popular book about strategies in battle. He says this. He says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles you understand the enemy, you know him. But then you also know yourself, you know your identity. Then he says, go into battle in life, you will win. He says, if you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. So so you know yourself, you know your identity, but you are totally ignorant of the enemy. He says, what will happen is that you will get a victory, but then you'll also suffer a defeat. So really it's one step forward, And one step backwards, you literally remain in the same place. He goes on to say, if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb to every battle. So you don't know your identity and you don't know the enemy. You don't know anything about him. He says it is guaranteed you will lose every battle. And and, and sadly, that is the case uh, where you have people who don't know their identity. They don't know who they are and who have very little knowledge about the, the enemy, and the result is that they succumb to defeat in every battle. You know, C.S. Lewis um, says this. He says that there's a trajectory. At one end are people who are preoccupied with Satan. Everything is Satan. I mean, if they, if they, if they go out in sub-zero temperatures with just a t-shirt and they get a cold is the devil. No, 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 no. It wasn't the devil. It was your stupidity that, that caused the cold. But they, say, they see it as an attack of Satan. So everything is Satan. You know, Satan is a, there's a demon of, of, of the fluff of the carpet. There's a demon, you know, of the thread of our clothes. There's a demon, I mean, just demons everywhere. So that's one extreme. Now, C.S. Lewis says there's, a, there's another end of the spectrum where people don't even know that he exists and don't want to know. It's almost like the people there at the other end of the spectrum are of the opinion that if you don't trouble him, he won't trouble you. No, he troubles you whether you trouble him or not. By virtue of the fact that you're a Christian, you are in a battle. So you can ignore him at your peril and assume that if you ignore him, he will go away. So what does C.S. Lewis say? C.S. Lewis says the right place is somewhere in the middle. You're not preoccupied with him, but you do acknowledge that he does exist, as the Bible says. Um, and you're not pretending that he doesn't exist. Amen? Can someone say amen to that? Amen. And that is really where, where we should be uh, in this battle of life. Amen? So, uh, St. Zeus says to us that if you know the enemy and know yourself, you, ca- you shouldn't be afraid of the result of a hundred battles, you will always have victory. If you know yourself but you don't know the enemy, you will, it will really be one victory, one defeat. One foot forward, one foot backward. If you don't know the enemy and you don't know yourself, you will succumb to every battle. Amen? Now, everything has a premise. Everything has a foundation. Everything has a principle that really is embedded in it and kick-starts it. So, what is the premise of Satan's strategy? This is very important. Because if we start to understand it, then we start to understand how Satan goes about stealing our identity. What is the premise of his strategy? The Apostle Paul, talking about forgiveness, gives us a very clear idea as to how Satan operates. 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, verses 10 and 11. He says, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now, this is the, the phrase, or the, this is the sentence that I want you to remember. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul says, if you are ignorant of Satan's devices, then in this battle of life, Satan is going to take advantage of you. And other versions of the Bible help us understand what he was saying very clearly. The Amplified Classic says this, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us for we are not Ignorant of his wiles And his intentions So what's the premise How how does Satan play out this battle How does he steal Our identity How does he rob us of this great thing of value That God gave us when we started When we were created He does so by devices Uh, The Amplified Classic says He does so by wiles Uh, And if we go on The message puts it this way The message says After all We don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We are not oblivious to his sly ways. The message says, If we don't know, we inadvertently give Satan an opening to cause mischief in our lives. And his method, the way he does it, is by sly ways. And then, uh, the, the Passion Translation goes on to say this. The Passion Translation says, so that we would not be exploited by the adversary Satan, for we know his clever schemes. His intention is to exploit us, but then the way we are not exploited is by having knowledge, being aware of what the Bible calls his clever schemes. So he works with devices, with wiles, with sly ways and with clever schemes. The English Standard Version puts it this way, so that we would not be outwitted. He's trying to exploit us, take advantage, create an opening, create mischief. The English Standard Version says he wants to outwit us, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And so he outwits us by these these designs, these schemes, these plots, these plans, these sly ways. And the Orthodox Jewish Bible puts it this way, lest we should be outsmarted, outsmarted by Satan, for we do not lack the das of his kesherim. What is kesherim? Conspiracies. So the Orthodox Jewish Bible says he's trying to outsmart you by his conspiracies. So suddenly we understand that's the premise of how he operates. These are his methods, devices, wiles, schemes, designs, conspiracies, sly ways. And in all this, he's trying to outsmart, outwit, exploit. He's trying to get an opening. He's trying to get advantage or take advantage of. And he's trying to do all these things to just simply achieve his purpose. Why is he trying to outsmart, take advantage of Why is he trying to outwit? Why is he trying to get an opening? He's trying to do this using these devices, sly ways, schemes, plans, plots. He's trying to do this for one purpose only, to fulfill his mandate. He's trying to do this so that he can steal, kill, and destroy. Steal dreams, uh, 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 kill a person's self-image, Destroy a person's self-worth, you know, bring uh, a person's dignity down into the gutter. That's what he's trying to achieve. But then I asked myself this question. I said, why does he have to go in such a complicated fashion? Why doesn't he just do it? Since you want to kill, why not kill me or kill you? I mean, think about it in a graphic sense. Adam and Eve are in the garden. From the beginning, when the animals were created, the snake was in the garden. Before the animals were created, the Bible tells us, Satan as a spirit was in the garden. So, if Satan could get into a snake... And use the snake to outwit, take advantage of, outsmart Eve by trying to get her to rebel against God by doing what God said she shouldn't do, and his aim was to destroy her life. Why didn't he just get the snake to bite her? Because snakes have venom. If they bite you, they inject poison into your system, and you die. So I'm thinking to myself, Satan, this was complicated. You had the snake. All the snake had to do was bite Eve and bite Adam. Over. They are dead. The Bible stops in Genesis, the third chapter. So why didn't he do that? Have you thought about that? If he hates you so much, and he hates me so much, why am I still alive? Why didn't he just arrange for me to be killed? Why didn't he just attack me? Why didn't he just, you know, grab my car as I was coming to church and toss the car off the, off the bridge? And you people who hear in church that his car was tossed off the bridge, God forbid. But why didn't he just do that? Why didn't he just destroy Adam and Eve? After all, he was there with them. Why didn't he destroy you? How come you slept at night and you you knew that some evil force was in the room but it just couldn't get to you you woke up the next morning and you're in church and you're praising God you know when you were sleeping sleeping think about it you were sleeping who was guarding you why didn't he just come and suffocate you while you were sleeping why didn't he do that the answer is simple He simply does not have the power to do so. And that's a revelation that the church must get. That Satan is not this this powerful person that is going about doing exactly what he wants. If he could do exactly what he wants, you wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here. Adam and Eve wouldn't have been there. He simply does not have the power to do so. Satan and God are not opposites and equals. Satan and God are not on the same level. You know, Satan does not have the power to do what he wants. Satan cannot kill and make alive. life. Only God can. Satan does not have the power of life and death. No, Satan is not a God. He's a created being. So, so Unfortunately, there are parts of the church that have glorified the power of Satan and made him seem more powerful than he is. But then we understand from Revelation that he is certainly not as powerful. He was in the garden and he was not relevant even though he was there as long as man's relationship with God was correct. So rather than spend seven hours binding Satan, I should spend seven hours getting closer to God because you have never seen... In the history of the world, you have never seen a fly as pesky as they are, the irritants that they are. Have you ever seen a fly alight on a hot stove? And so, if the stove is hot, flies find another place. So, flies only alight where they can alight without getting hurt. Satan knows that he does not have the power. And it's a revelation that we must get into our system that Satan does not have the power. So we, we, we understand he exists. We're not foolish to that. We understand that he can do certain things if we allow him. But he simply does not have the power to go around doing whatever he wants. So people say Satan killed him. Satan killed her. I say to them it is impossible for Satan to kill anybody. And the Bible backs it up. That's the fundamental thread that runs through the Bible. If you take, for example, Job's life in Job, the first chapter, the, verses 6 to 12. Now, listen to this story. Job's, Job 1, verses 6 to 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves, Job 1, verses 6 to 12. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Amazing. That totally blows my theology. That God is sitting and Satan is going to present himself to God. What's happening? Isn't he the enemy? He is. But then he he has a work to do, and God has conversations with him. He goes to present himself to God. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Now, do you think that was a question about location? No, it was a rhetorical question. Do you think God didn't know where he was coming from? God sees everything. Of course, God knew where he was coming from. But God wanted him to answer. And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth about it. You know, the apostle Peter helps us understand that. Where Peter says that he's roaming around like a lion looking for who he devoured. I mean, Satan, what are you doing? I mean, Satan is like, if he could be rude to God, he would have said to God, what do you think I'm doing? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do until you finally lock me up in hell. And what am I supposed to do? I'm walking around looking for whose life I can steal from, what I can steal from. Those are your your sick children that I hate. I'm looking for who I can kill, what I can kill, a dream. I can kill. I'm looking for somebody's dignity and self-worth and self-image to destroy. That's what I do for a living. I'm going around and I am effecting, I am effective in my ministry. I am stealing, killing, and destroying. That is really what Satan said to, to God. And then God now says this. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I'm sure many people will say, look, God, no need to get into conversations with Satan about me. Don't consider me. I'm okay. I just kind of need to get through life. There's no need to boast about me, God. No need. No need. No need. No need. No need. Boast about Ronke or boast about Tony, but don't boast about me because look at what happened when you boasted about about Job. So God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? You know, that is something where God trusts a person to the extent that he says, have you seen this person? Have you considered him? Think about him look at his life it's it's, an, it's exemplary God says have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man one who fears God and shuns evil so Satan answered the Lord and said does Job fear God for nothing it's not about Job God what are you trying to say That, have I considered Job? It has nothing to do with Job. It's all about you. He's afraid about you for nothing. He says, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. What was Job saying? Job was saying, it has nothing to do with him. He says, it's you, God. You are the cause of the problem. He says, you know, he's, he's how he is. We can't touch him. Because you've built a hedge around him. You've built a hedge, a hedge around his wife. You've built a hedge around his, her husband. You've built a hedge around their children. If not, we would have dealt with him. It's just the question of the hedge that you've built about him. And not just the hedge. you bless the work of his hands. What was Job saying? It's not because he's hardworking. Not because he's intelligent. No. Job was say, God, Satan was saying to, to, to God, There are many who are intelligent and hardworking. I've dealt with them because you didn't bless them. But with him, you blessed him. You put a hedge around him and you blessed him. Now, now, guys, come, come. I need, I need, I need some help. Badge, come, come. You come. Dabs, come, dabs, come. come. I need some help. I need some Doc, come. I need some help. Okay? All right? I need I need some help. You can, you can, you can, come, come, come. I need some help. I need some help just to explain this. So, so Job, Job is existing in the natural. Yeah? Satan says the problem why we haven't dealt with Job, we hate him, is because you built a hedge around him. Yeah? Go on, guys, form a hedge around me. So, in the natural, nobody sees anything. Job's friends didn't see a hedge, but Satan says there's a hedge. It wasn't necessary for the people in the natural to see it because the people in the natural don't matter. The people who matter are in the spirit, they're spiritual. So the demons are fallen angels. They are spirits. You don't see them. The Satan, their master, is a spirit. So it's important that it is seen there because that's only the place he can be attacked. And they use people here, but it starts from there. And so Satan says, God, it's, it's not Job. It's you. You put a hedge around him. So guess what happens? In the natural, everywhere Job goes, the hedge goes with him. So Job is going to work. Why can't he toss Job off the bridge? Because the hedge is going with him. Then Job decides, I've finished work. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to get on the treadmill. The hedge goes with him. And so if there's somebody at the gym who has ulterior intentions, the spirits get into somebody. The spirits see the hedge. There's nothing they can do. Job wants to sleep at night. Guess what? The hedge stays with him. Job goes to meet Mrs. Job. For dinner at a nice restaurant in mayfair the hedge goes with him to mayfair and while job and mrs job are having valentine's dinner the hedge is around them wherever job goes the hedge goes with him and so satan says i can't get you because the hedge just keeps going with me that's the problem satan says the problem is the hedge if you would take this hedge off then we would Teach Job the lesson of his life. But until you, God, take the hedge off, there is nothing we can do. Go and give God a clap offering. And it gets even more exciting. So you understand that Satan doesn't have all these powers. In another instance, you see, when things get hot, the hedge changes. Because now it's time for warfare. It's no longer just a hedge. How do I know that? Because the king of Aram was irritated with Elisha. And he decided, that man Elisha is telling our enemies our plans. So we're going to kill him. So the king in the natural gets a crack team. His best soldiers. And he sends them under the cover of darkness, surreptitiously. In a clandestine manner, they've identified where Elisha is sleeping. And the king sends his crack team. And the team arrive on the hill overlooking where Elisha is. They have all the advantage. They have surprise on their side. They came under the cover of darkness. They are well armed. And they are just going to arrest one man. With his servant. And Gehazi, the servant wakes up first. The the man of God wakes up and is praying. The servant wakes up and goes out. And the soldiers start to rise from their hidden position. And Gehazi sees them. 2 Kings 6 from verse 15. And he looks at this dreadful army. And he rushes back to his master. He says, we are finished. It is over. There's no hope. They've surrounded us. The enemy. And then he's puzzled as to how calm his master is. If you know who you are you will always be calm in any situation. Because his master should get agitated. It's over. It's over. We're We're done for. And the master almost in exasperation at the immaturity of this man and you know that's how sometimes uh immaturity can almost exasperate heaven that when will you grow up and know who you are why you run all over the place calling everybody agitated you saw a coffin at night the whole church has to wake up wake up wake up up, intercession bind lose they say what is happening they say bind 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 what am i binding just bind bind you call the pastor at 2 a.m., I saw a coffin. You call the head of intercession. You call Pastor Daps, please, I need pastoral care. My mind is going crazy. I saw a coffin, what, what is wrong with you? That's how Elisha was. And Elisha said, oh, man, can't you see where it matters? It doesn't matter here. It matters in the realm where decisions are made, the realm where Satan went to have a conversation with God where they were talking and it was that conversation that led to what happened here. It's not primarily about here. It's not about your skill or your intellect. It's about decisions that have been made. So uh, Elisha says, oh God, open this guy's eyes and let him go and allow me to continue talking to you. And God opens his eyes and he sees into the other realm and he's amazed. Of course, he can see the soldiers, but in between Elisha and him and the soldiers, are, is not just a hedge because now it is warfare. They are chariots of fire. And so wherever a child of God goes and the enemy raises a battle cry against him, the hedge becomes chariots of fire because now somebody is going to be hurt and it's not me because I am in God's plans and purposes. Can, God, can someone say amen to that? Hallelujah. Is this making some sense? And so the servant's eyes are opened and he sees in between the soldiers who have come to arrest him and Elisha, a cordon, a hedge around him of chariots, not just ordinary chariots, chariots of fire. The book of Lamentations sums this up in a very nice way. It says, who can command things to happen without the lord's permission it is impossible please let us understand how it works it is not possible They say the Lord killed, they said Satan killed that person. I say no, Satan cannot kill the person. The Lord permitted it to happen because the person's purpose is over. The person's race is over. The ultimate decision rests with the Lord, not with Satan. They are not opposites and equals and Satan simply does not have the power. Who can command it to happen without the Lord's permission? And he puts it, the, Bible, the psalmist puts it like this in one of my favorite scriptures. He says in Psalm 62 verse 11, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to Lord, to God. The question of power is settled. It belongs to God. That's why I simply don't have any fear of anything, including death. It is not possible for Satan to kill me. He cannot kill me. When God decides that I have finished my race, I have poured out all that is in me, my purpose is over, God says, come home. Sometimes he might use Satan to bring me home. And that's a free ride because he doesn't want to pay for it. So Satan, go and get him home. Because I want him home. But it is God who permits it, not Satan. All power belongs to God. Can someone say amen to that? And so because he doesn't have the power to touch you. He has to trick you or deceive you into agreeing or cooperating with him. Hence, he must begin to use wiles and schemes and deceit and trickery. Because, you know, he can't touch you. So the only way it can happen, he doesn't have the power to. The only way it can happen is, can he trick you? By his plans, his deceit, his designs, his sly ways, his trickery. And hopefully trick you to coming into an agreement with him. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. But then we can be against ourselves if we agree with him. So he went after Eve and tricked her into agreeing with him that God had told her a lie. God had withheld information from her. God was not really a good God. He didn't want her to enjoy all these benefits, including this luscious-looking fruit. And once her mind agreed with him, he had got her. Because otherwise, he has no power whatsoever to touch you. Can someone celebrate that revelation? And where does this warfare, this battle, this trickery, the deceit, what is the field of battle? Where does it take place? Where does he attempt to deceive? He does this in our minds. That's why we say the battlefield is our minds. The battlefield would be physical if he could do whatever he liked. Because then he can throw you all over the place. Physically mess you up. But then, because he can't, the battlefield is in our minds. Now, look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. Go and look at them boldly. Now, they don't look like they are in the midst of a war. But trust me there is a war going on that you can't see. That person next to you is in the throes of many battles. But the battles are taking place unseen to you, but as real as any battle in the person's mind. And I can tell you some battles that are taking place. Someone in their minds is fighting a feeling of sadness, a feeling of despondency. Maybe fighting the thoughts, suicidal thoughts. It's not happening outside, but believe me, there's someone in this church under the sound of my voice and they're fighting that battle in their minds. Someone is fighting a battle against these things that are making them think so lowly of themselves. In their minds, it's a raging battle. And some guys here are fighting some serious battles against lust. Some ladies too, in their minds. They just, you know, just, if they could tell you, it's a raging battle. You know, they, they live here. And why do I have to go to that pornographic site? The battle is going on in their minds. It's a battle. Now, look at the people next to you. Don't you wish you knew the battle they were fighting? Because they are fighting a battle, that I guarantee you. They are doing things that they don't want to do. And the battle is raging in their minds. And it can get worse where people act out what is going on in their minds. It's the battlefield of the mind. And that wise king, Solomon, understood this. That this is really where it is won and it is lost. That's why he says things like this. Keep your heart, your mind, with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Proverbs 4 verse 23. The New Living Translation says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the cause of life. What was he saying? He was saying this whole thing boils down to who wins the battle in the mind. So... Solomon, with all his wisdom, says, with all diligence that you can muster, he says, keep your heart. Prevent the enemy from getting in. Because once the enemy gets in, he says, it totally colors the issues of life. One translation says, it determines the cause of life. All the enemy has to do is get in. He got in to Eve and into Adam. The result was shame and disgrace and fear and, and, and the whole thing just fell apart because he got in. So the enemy says, guard your heart. I mean, Solomon says, guard your heart. That's wisdom. So you, you just can't, you know, allow anything into your heart. You can't, you can't read anything. no. I'm not, I'm not reading it, I'm, I'm avoiding it, not, not because I'm some prude, but because I understand. I'm not ignorant of his devices. Just a, just a glance at the page three, girl. It was just supposed to be a glance, a glance, a glance. You know, I was at a hotel, and that's why now when I get to hotels... If they don't block the channels, certain channels, I block. I, I, I go down and tell them, block all these channels. I, I, he that think at his stand should take heed lest he falls. You know, I mean, I'm the pastor. I was in a hotel. I was bored. So I was flicking channels. So it's Sc- Scandinavian country. It was only 10 o'clock at night. And I was flicking channels. I was trying to look for sports. Half of it wasn't in English. You know, I was just flicking channels. I was tired. I had a tiring time. I administered powerfully that night, I administered power, I said powerfully, 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 and floored in all the gifts, and I was flicking channels, and then it went on to this, this, you know the kind of channel, and instead of protecting my mind, I was like unbelievable, at 10 o'clock at night, I thought these people are crazy. And I moved closer. Impossible. Why would they do a thing like this? And then I tried to go into Christianese. We must pray against this kind of thing. Guess what? It was now about two minutes. And I was there. Unbelievable. Impossible. Why should they? Oh, this is bad. This is sick. We must pray against this kind of thing. And then after a few minutes, I switched it off. That night oh my God. They were dancing in my room and dancing around me and it was a disaster. And guess what? Because external circumstances Satan will use. This is a true story. The couple next door were at it. This is a true story. Can I be, can I be, can I be truthful to you? And I could hear them. So the couple were at it. They were dancing in my room and I was completely ashola. I told her the next day. I was completely messed up. The next day I was walking on the road and I was just seeing them dancing in my head. And why? Because I was ignorant of the devices of Satan. You just have to not let him outsmart you. I, I, I hope you'll come back next Sunday to a pastor. With and you just, you can't read anything. You can't listen to anything. You, you just can't. You know, Shola, Shola, is, Shola is, she's like, she's like a, like a gatekeeper for our eight-year-old son. You know, sometimes from the school they might send some books, you know. They are innocent-looking books just about witches, just, you know, flying around and magic and witches, you know. So they're supposed to read them. So Shola has Shola, been to the school before and said, no, 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 he, he can't read this. You know, I mean, he can't read this. And what she's saying to them is that you want him to read about all this stuff and then you go, you go to your homes. At night, he's, he's with us. He's running up the stairs. Mom, I'm afraid. Dad, I'm afraid. And why is he afraid? Because the enemy has used his plans, his schemes, his plots to sow things into his heart. So until he learns to guard his own heart himself, we are guardians of his heart by the Spirit of God. Can someone say amen to that? Because it's really a battle to shape our thoughts. And that's what it's about. Our thoughts, our ideas, our beliefs, our convictions, our suppositions, our assumptions, our presumptions, our perceptions, and ultimately our understanding. That's what the battle is about. What is Satan trying to do? He can't touch you, so he's thinking, can I sow an idea isn't that what he did to Eve? Just sowed an idea. Can I, can I sow, can I shape her thought? Can I sow a belief, an erroneous one? Can I affect her convictions, sow something? Can I put in some suppositions? That's why I don't do suppositions, Suppose, supposing that, that, Jesus is not the son of God. Suppose it that no, Jesus is not the son of God. You are crazy. He's the son of God and I'm not supposing anything. I don't even want to think about it. And, and he plays on our intellect. Because we want to sound intellectual. So he brings in assumptions. Assume that God really did not want you to enjoy things like this fruit. Assume. Presume. What about this perception, this angle? And then sometimes we think it's really intellectual to have these arguments. No, it's not intellectual. It's a device, it's a scheme, it's a plot, it's a plan, it's a while, it's a sly way to get my thinking to change. And really that's his aim. You see, he wants to do all these things to cause something to happen. He knows that if he can do that, if he can, if he can affect your belief or, or your conviction, if he can put in ideas or, or bring suppositions or assumptions or presumptions, uh, if he can affect your understanding, then the, the result invariably as a matter of course, will be that your thinking will change, your reasoning will change. The, the, way, the things you consider, your consideration will change. Your ruminations will change. Your introspection will change. Your musings will change. Your contemplations will change. Your reflections will change. And eventually, what you meditate upon, spend time thinking, will change. So, he it, it understands the game. So, I can change your reasoning. You know, what kind of a God would want to trap you as a man? You know, he, If he really cares, shouldn't he give you freedom to decide? It's just an opinion, an idea, a thought. Then you take it home and say, really, yeah. I mean, I should should have the freedom. You know, what if I want to be fluid? You know? Last week, I was a guy. But this week, I want to be fluid. And I kind of, you know, I like what I saw Deborah wearing. And, and what kind of bondage is it that I have to wear a, 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 a suit I like a skirt no, this, 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 is not a, this is not a good God because he doesn't give me the freedom to express myself and so I decide I'm going to go and buy a skirt and wait that's what I want to be this week and, and if God is good then he should allow me the freedom and not get in my way And and why would God want to keep all the power to himself? Doesn't the Bible say, ye are gods? Yes, the Bible does say so. So, I'm a god. And if I'm a god, why do I need another god to take that kind of decision? So, why don't, this Christianity doesn't work. But this new age thing that tells me that I'm a god, alone to myself, I'm not submitted to any other higher power. Now, that sounds interesting, good reasoning. That's how he works. He understands very clearly what Solomon was trying to get across to us. That as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if I can change your thinking, I can change who you are. That's why Solomon said, guard your heart. Said, Protect it with diligence. Because if I can mess it up, if I can get into your mind, And make you think you're a slave, you will start to behave like a slave. But if my circumstances put me in slavery, like it put millions of our our ancestors in slavery, the few who despite the whip, despite the shackles, despite the chains, didn't allow it to get into their minds, they were bowed over physically, but in their hearts they were proud Africans, Because they hadn't succumbed to the circumstances. You think I'm a slave, you call me a slave, but in my heart I'm not a slave. You have all the power now, you think. But there's a God who sits in heaven who has told me who I am, and in my heart I'm not a slave. I'm a child of His. I'm a king under His kingship. I'm a lord under His lordship. And so, I might be farming this plantation, and you've taken all my rights. And I am nobody, but in my heart, I'm not a slave. You can traffic me all over the world. You can abuse me, that brutal husband. You can beat me and, and curse me and verbally abuse me. And you think you have broken me, but no, in my heart, I'm not broken. I've been through it all. You've thrown everything at me, affected my mind, took my dignity, dragged me in the mud, messed up my life. But then I protected my heart all the time. I kept telling myself, no, I am not what this says I am. In my heart, I am a child of God and I have dignity. It's what you do with your heart, what you do with your mind. How you win the battle. Because all he wants to do is to cause confusion and doubt and discouragement and fear and despondency and every other negative emotion ultimately to cause you to lose your identity. And how does he do this? By lies and lies and lies. So we should know that if that thought comes from him, it has to be a lie. And you know, Jesus helps us understand that. Jesus says in John the 8th chapter and the 44th verse, and a, a portion of the scripture, he says concerning him, this is Jesus telling us about him. He says, the New Living Translation, he was a murderer from the beginning. <coughs> he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. That's who he is. He can't help himself. He tells lies all the time. That's who he is. The Passion Translation says, he's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth. He's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. So guess what? When he spoke to Eve, Eve should have known you're a liar. There's no point engaging with him. And if he happens to say anything to you, guess what? You are a liar. It's your native tongue. You're a master of deception and the father of lies. And you know the thing with, with, with this character? He has audacity. Somebody says to me, but why will he go after me and try and steal my identity? Because he also tried to To rob Jesus of his own identity. Can you beat this character? I mean, he tried to rob Jesus of his identity. He tried to tell Jesus, you're not who God says you are. Matthew 4 from verses 1 to 11. And we'll do this next week as a case study. As we see how he works. I mean, I thought to myself the audacity and temerity of Satan. I mean, it's okay to try and mess Aguiruku up, mess Awe up, mess Funke Deaga up. It's okay. Mess Mobola up. It's okay. You know, we are fighting you. But you went to Jesus to try and lie to Jesus and make him believe your lie. You tried to outwit, outsmart, take advantage of him. You tried to deceive him with your trickery. You are, you are, I cannot believe you. And he did. Because when we look at it next week, you see that what he was trying to say to Jesus is that, you know, are you really the son of God? Does God really say you? Did he really mean that you are the son of God? And if Jesus had not known for certain who he was, Satan would have told him who he was. If you don't know who you are, he's going to tell you who you are. If he doesn't tell you who you are, he's going to use other people to tell you who you are. And most times, because it is from him, it's going to be wrong. And if he doesn't use other people to tell you who you are, he's going to use your circumstances to tell you who you are. The experiences you've been through, the mistakes you've made, the things balls you've dropped, he's going to say, that's who you are. That's who you are. You're a drunkard. That's who you are. You're an alcoholic. That's who you are. You're a drug addict. That's who you are. You're a failed person. Look at how many businesses have failed. That's who you are. You're a mess. You come from a broken home. That's who you are. Your broken home defines you. That's who you are. Can't you remember what your husband said? How many times he told you you're no good? You are no good. Your husband who lives with you says you're no good. That's who you are. That's exactly who you are. He's going to tell you who you are. You fail the exams, come on, you're not intelligent. Can't you see Josephine, she passed all the exams. Look at you, a failure. You can't even pass those exams. That's who you are. It's going to label you. Your circumstances are going to label you. And we go through stuff. But then those, that stuff doesn't make us. That stuff does not tell me who I am. And if I don't know who I am, if I can't say like Jesus I am, something is going to tell you you are, and you're going to believe it. Your father, who was so messed up that he didn't understand that a son needs affirmation, and he kept putting you down, is going to determine who you are. Amen? Praise God. Give God a clap offering. (laughs) Let's bow our heads. Maybe you haven't started the journey. You haven't come back to him. In a sense, like the prodigal son, you're still out there trying to do stuff on your own. But one day, the prodigal son, living in a pigsty with pigs, thought to himself, I'm I'm more than this. I'm a child of, I, I have a father somewhere. And maybe you haven't come back home to your father. You're online, you're listening, you're watching, you're here. And you haven't started at the beginning. The beginning is coming back to your father, coming back home. And so this is, this is sending out a call to his children to come back home. And you want to do that. You want to come back home. If you would just slip your hands up wherever you are, you just want to come back home. Let me just go and start by coming back home. Slip the hand up wherever you are. Go on, I see that hand. Anybody else? You want to come back home? You're tired of just trying to do it. You want to, I see that hand? Anybody else? You want to come back home? Go on, sleep it high, sleep it high. I just need to know that you're coming back home. I see that hand. You want to come back home. Keep it, keep it up, keep it up. Anybody else? Keep it up. You want to come back home. Just come back home. Come back home. Come back home. Come back into his embrace. And maybe you used to live in the house, but you've gone out and you've gone astray and you want to come back home. Slip your hand up. You want to come back to your father. The Bible says the prodigal son came to himself and thought, you know what? I'm I'm better than this. I want to come back home. Go on, slip it up wherever you are. Anybody else, slip it up. Hallelujah. Okay, if you've got your hands up, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I'm going to ask a member of our ministry team to come to you. Uh, Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up, up, please. Let me see that hand. Let me see that hand. Ushers, please, can you direct members of our ministry team? Um, You've got your hand up. Uh, they, they come up to you. They'll, they'll, they'll take you out. They'll talk with you. I need somebody at the back. Members of the ministry team. I need so all the pastors might have to help in these instances. But yeah, Dabs and and you know all of you. Go on, slip your hand up. Uh, we need a help at the back. At the back. At the back. At the back on my right hand side. Okay. They'll come to you. They'll take you out, and they'll have a chat with you, and they'll walk you walk with you back home, back home. They'll walk with you back home. We need a we need a we need help at, at the back, at the back on my right hand side. Yeah. Every moment I'm away. Thank you, Lord. Lord, have Thank you Lord. Your If you didn't put up your hand and you want to, it's not too late. Come on, put up your hand. Lord, I yes. give you my put up your heart. hand. Put up your hand. Somebody, one of our pastors, deacons, and or deaconesses are going to come to you. And they're just going to walk with you back home. Your Father is waiting for you with, with open you hands. Waiting for you with open hands. Every father, we thank you. Lord, we bless I you. We thank you. We give you all the praise way. and glory, Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You Amen. You know, one of the things that we must learn to do if we are made like God is that we must learn to frame our world by our words. It's what God did at the beginning. And everything God, everything has done at the beginning is foundational. And it was God's way of showing us that this is how you live. You believe something and then you speak it into being. And we have a part of the divine in us. And as we speak these things, we frame our world by our confessions. Can someone say amen? Amen. So rise to your feet and and let's let's make these confessions. Let's declare this about yourself. Everyone is taken from scripture. There's none that I formed myself. It's really what God said about you. Amen. So don't worry about reading the scripture, but let's declare it. Please declare it with life. Uh, uh, Jesus said, These words that I speak are spirit and life. And guess what we're doing? We're just speaking what he spoke or speaking what was spoken by the spirit. So these words are spirit and life. They're not normal words. They they go to accomplish things. They go to make things happen. They correct things. They recover things. They, they, They rebuild things. They destroy things that should be destroyed. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's say this together. It's all about I am, I am, I am. If you can't say, I am, somebody's going to say, you are. Satan is going to say, you are. Circumstances are going to say, you are. One, two, let's go. I am a child of God by right, because I have received his son, Jesus Christ, into my life, and I believe in his name. I am made in God's image and likeness. I am not a non-entity. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, God knew and approved of me as his chosen instrument I am confident about my future because you have plans for me plans to prosper me and not to harm me plans to give me a hope and a future I am confident that you have started a good work in me and you will complete it I am a child of the light and a child of the day I do not belong to the night or to the darkness. I am victorious over my enemies because you go with me to fight against them. I am not afraid because I know that you have given them into my hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand me. I am free because my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has set me free and I will never be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Amen. Now, this last one, you see, you know, words are powerful. You know, scientists tell us, scientifically, it has nothing to do with with, with church, that when words are spoken, the words are actually carried on waves around the world. They just never cease. Can you beat that? That's why you've got to be careful what you say. A lot of people have locked themselves into negative things by their confession. You can't keep saying, I am, and then tomorrow you say, I'm so tired, I feel like dying. No. One, they might say, really? That's, that's what you want? Oh, we thought you were saying you're free, but today you want to die. That's okay. We can hasten it. Die. <laughs> that's the power of words. Amen? So this last one, you, you know, I want to declare this to Satan. I want to declare this to the demons. I want to declare this to my circumstances that this thing is settled this last one it is absolutely settled this is the truth and there's nothing anybody can do about it this is exactly what god says who god says i am and i am so when i will say one two three i want you to declare with all boldness i am the beloved of god amen are you ready one two three declare it I am the Lord of god. one more time Hitting your hand on your chest one more time. I am the beloved of God. Go on, give God a clap offering. Go on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated in God's wonderful presence. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. 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 You know, you know what I would love to do? I'm, I just don't have time. Because this is going to be life-changing. I would love to take questions. I would love, to, I would love us to explore further. You know, I'd love to give you a chance to say, can you clarify that? What exactly did you mean about that? You know, um, can you give me more insight into this? That, that's how people learn, you know, by, that's the, that's the process of learning. But we can't do that on a Sunday. We are handicapped by time, handicapped by all these constraints. So guess what we decided? That's how we started Connect Groups. We said, you know what, Wednesdays now, We will meet in groups of fours and fives and sevens and tens. And whatever was preached on Sunday, we'll break it down. We'll talk about it. We'll ask questions. We'll pray into it. So together, we will grow in what we have learned. The truth that we know will make us free. That's why we say to everyone in Jesus' house, you've got to find a connect group. It is part of the growth process. Church doesn't, doesn't just end on Sunday. No. We want, it, otherwise, it's, it's a religious exercise. But we want this thing to become imbibed. We want to walk in it. We want to become it. And the Connect groups that meet, 80 of them all around London, is for that singular purpose. And so we want to encourage you to find a Connect group. Uh, try a few until you find a home. And then. There's only so much that DABS can do with pastoral care, with a church of thousands. But guess what? Our connect group leaders are pastors. They've been trained and are being trained to care for people. And then you want a group that will pray with you? It's our connect groups. So please join a connect group. Find out about connect groups. Uh, and guess what? If you can, give up your home for a connect group. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 6, verse 10, that God is not unjust to forget the labor of love of those who labor in love towards his saints. Amazing scriptures. That for those who go the extra mile for the saints of God, God doesn't forget it. Uh, And so, it's a sacrifice, yes, because on Wednesday I give up my house. Yes, it invades my my, my privacy. Yes, the Englishman's home is his castle, and I don't want anybody in my castle and all that. But for the sake of the kingdom, I can open the doors of my castle for a Wednesday so that people can come there and grow. And the Bible says God doesn't forget such sacrifices. So maybe give up your home, you know, for for a connect group. And then maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I kind of have a natural gift to encourage people. I really care about people. I want the best for people. I kind of like people to learn about this Jesus that I love. Maybe you have inherent in you the giftings to become a leader, a, a shepherd, a pastor, or an overseer of one of these connect groups. Then let us know and we can shepherd you along the path until you're ready to, to do so. Amen? Amen. Do d- you get that? Do you get that? Yes. Why are you? Do you get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, please talk back to me. Uh, if, if not, you're going, to cause, you're going to cause me an identity crisis. Yeah? <laughs> do, 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 you, do you get that? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Join a connect group. That's what I'm trying to say. The, the table out, you can ask questions. Um, we've got a pastor in charge of connect groups. That's his main thing. That's what he does. And, you know, they've done an excellent job, him and his team. And so I want us to appreciate them, Pastor Efechiku and his team. Any member of the team who's here, coordinators, zonal leader, rice to your feet. administrator, go on, wherever you are. Well, please appreciate them. They've done an amazing job. Amazing job. 80 groups and growing. Amen. So please join the connect group. Find out more about it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.